This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. Six minutes past nine o'clock here in Hayesville, North Carolina. Welcome to a Thursday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio, the second day of March, 2023. Recovering from a uh, rainy night here in Hayesville. Going to rain all day today and tomorrow. Got to love it. Uh, Fortunately, was able to get outside, do some work uh, in the garden yesterday. It's uh, I actually... I, Got my first stuff planted in uh, the first day of March. Got some potatoes in the ground yesterday, so uh, spring is spring is just about here. Looking forward to that. Um, a little bit of a grab bag again this morning. This is a weird time of year. I mean, we still have the NBA and the NHL going on, college basketball, kind of the regular season's winding up. But, you know, uh, baseball's kind of still in spring training. Uh, we get a lot more baseball heavy, obviously, here in the next couple of weeks, and uh, I can't wait, but... Uh, uh, unfortunately, as we seem to do a lot, we're going to start this show talking about uh, <laughs> the law. Um, if you remember uh, back uh, in January, a uh, player at the University of Georgia as well as a recruiting staff member were killed uh, in a car accident. And there's been investigations going on, um, and it has uh, come to light that it appears that uh, the driver, Chandler LaCroix, who was a female uh, member of the recruiting staff at Georgia and had uh, uh, offensive lineman Devin Willock as a passenger in her car, it appeared that she was racing with another vehicle, and it turns out that that vehicle was driven by uh, Georgia defensive tackle Jalen Carter, who has been projected to be one of the early picks in next month's NFL draft. Uh, it, it He was charged by the athens Clark County Police Department. They issued an arrest warrant. Uh, Carter has turned himself in. He has already posted bonds, so he is out. He has obviously had to skip uh, the NFL Combine, he was supposed to be there yesterday. Um, and uh, he issued a statement saying that he expects to be fully exonerated of any criminal wrongdoing. Um, he has been charged with reckless driving and racing, which are both uh, misdemeanors. Um, and he says that uh, media reports have circulated this morning containing inaccurate information concerning the tragic events of uh, January 15th. Uh, look, here's the deal. There's video footage that I saw this morning on the, on the local news that showed the two cars at a traffic light and basically peeling away when the light turned green and it was obvious that they were racing. Um, supposedly the expedition, which was the, uh, 
vehicle involved in a fatal crash. It was driven by LaCroix. It was, was going about 104 miles an hour just before the crash. And LaCroix's blood alcohol content was .197. The legal limit, folks, in Georgia, .08. So that was about two and a half times the legal limit. And it was also 2.30 in the morning, and as I have said any time, every time, nothing good happens at 2.30 in the morning. At 2.30 in the morning, you're supposed to be asleep. And if you are out at 2.30 in the morning, nothing good is going to come of that. And unfortunately, this resulted in two deaths. Uh, Kirby Smart, the coach of Georgia's, you know, said, look, it's disturbing, obviously concerning, and uh, especially as we're still trying to deal with what's going on uh, with the death of those two people. But here's the thing. This isn't the first time that Georgia has had to deal with this. Um, last year, uh, Jamin Dumas-Johnson, who was the second leading tackler on the team in 2022, uh, was arrested on charges of reckless driving and racing. And he was uh, released on bond. He posted uh, a bond of somewhere between four and six or four, uh, four and uh, $6,000. And, uh, you know, so there's obviously – some kind of control issues within the University of Georgia. At the end of the day, these are technically all adults, right? I mean, they're over 18, they're away from home, and there's only so much that a coach can do. And, you know, one of the things that they pointed out was the vehicle being driven by LaCroix was one that was issued by the university, and it was supposed to be used for university business and recruiting business only, not for personal use. So obviously what went on that evening uh, was not sanctioned as far as the use of the vehicle. Uh, at the end of the day, it's tragic. Two people lost their lives. Whether whether Jalen Carter was involved in racing and reckless driving, at the end of the day, two people are still dead here. Um, how this affects Jalen Carter in the NFL, we don't know. Uh, you know, again, you know, at the end of the day, this is a stupid thing that stupid kids did. You know, I mean, you're still, you know, whether you're on the football team or whether you're an engineering student, even though you're technically an adult, you're still a kid. You're learning your way through life, and you've got freedom that you never had before, and people do stupid things. Um, I think it's inevitable that this will affect Carter's draft position in some way because one of the things, especially in this day and age where we have seen so much misbehavior, not just in the NFL, but in the NBA and, uh, you know, in baseball, of people doing stupid things that do not reflect well on teams, the league, the player, uh, whatever. Uh, I think that character and behavior has become 
um, a more uh, something that's looked at a lot more perhaps than it used to be. You know, I mean, look, it it doesn't mean that Jalen Carter, because he did this, is going to be a miscreant and is going to be a distraction and is going to do things like this again and again. Matter of fact, you would like to think that if the charges against Jalen Carter are true, and we have no way of knowing that, but you would like to think that if they are true, he has learned a lesson from this and he won't ever repeat that behavior. But I think it's inevitable that some teams are going to say, you know what, we don't, A, we don't need to take the chance that he isn't going to learn his lesson. But B, we also don't need to take the PR hit and have to constantly have uh, team officials and Carter himself ask questions about what happened while he was a student at the University of Georgia. I mean, look what's going on at the University of Alabama where they have a basketball player on their team, who brought a gun to an ex-teammate, who was a teammate at the time, brought a gun that that player then used in a homicide. I mean, so, (laughs) unfortunately, the police blotter has become a big part of our lives, not just in the pros, but in college as well. So we are going to have to see... Uh, you know, what happens with Carter. But there's going to be, there's no question in my mind, it is going to affect him in some way. I mean, I don't think he's going to drop to suddenly becoming, you know, a fourth-round draft pick or a sixth-round draft pick or becoming Mr. Irrelevant. That's not going to happen. But I still think there's probably going to be a couple of teams um, that are going to uh, to think twice about this. So uh, just sad. I mean, and I live right on the Georgia border. So as you can imagine, uh, you know, this was what every news organization in the area led with. So uh, from that, we move to uh, to the PGA Tour. And we don't talk a ton of golf here. Um, You know, we do on occasion when the big tournaments come up. But the PGA Tour, uh, as you know, there's all kinds of legislation going on. Uh, back and forth between the PGA and the uh, the Live Tour, the one that is backed by Saudi Arabia money, Saudi Arabia blood money, a lot of people might say. Well, the PGA Tour, look, I don't like the Live format. I don't like team golf. Don't like it at all. I don't like the fact that their tournaments are only 54 holes. I mean, let's leave the money aside and where it comes from. I don't like the format to begin with, but one of the things that the Live Tour has done is they don't have cuts in their tournaments. They limit the size of the field, and everybody is there for the entire weekend. Well, the PGA Tour is going to do something similar. In 16 designated events, um, they are going to have what they're calling an elite schedule. Um, And those events are going to have $20 million in uh, prize money, so a much bigger purse. Um, and some of these these designated events are going to be 80-man fields with no cuts. Um, so what does that mean? Well, it, it, look, it means that some of the fringe guys, the guys that you know may not make the cut anyway, 
are not even going to be able to be in the field. There is no question this is a response uh, to the Live Tour that they are trying to make sure they don't lose more players to that tour. And, of course, as you can imagine, Greg Norman and the, you know, the uh, people like Ian Poulter and the other loudmouths in, in the Live Tour are uh, doing a victory lap saying that you know, it's all in response to them. And there is no doubt that it is. I don't know that I'd be doing a victory lap, but okay. Um, and, and this is going to anger, I'm sure, some people on the PGA Tour, but it's going to anger the people that aren't competing anyway. I mean, you know, that, that aren't threats to win a tournament anyway. So, look, eight of these 16 designated events, the exceptions are going to be the, the majors, you know, the Players' Championship and FedEx events, are guaranteed to have the best players. They're going to take people that are, you know, the top 50 from the FedEx Cup the previous year, uh, 10 players who performed the best in the fall for the early part of 2024, five leading players in points from regular tournaments and and, and people who won PGA Tour events that year, and, and there's going to be a few sponsor exemptions, and they're also going to take anybody from the top 30 in the world if they aren't already eligible. Um, but that's, look, you have to adapt. You know, we saw that, look, we have saw that in history, the ABA and the NBA. You know, the ABA did some different things, and the NBA had to adapt. They eventually merged with the ABA, they took on a couple of the teams, and they made some changes to, to things that the ABA were doing. The AFL and the NFL, again, they had to merge. There were some changes made to the game based on you know innovations. We've seen some things that are happening even now in the NFL with some of the things that the USFL did and the XFL did. Some of those things have been brought into the NFL. So this is not new. You know, uh, sports have to adapt not just to playing rules and, and the way the game is played, just as they've done in baseball now with the pitch clock and the way the uh, NBA has added the three-point line and, you know, uh, the, the two-line pass no longer in the NHL. You know, uh, there's been a lot of things that have changed in every sport. It's just part. We ha- it, And I'm a traditionalist, and I'm a guy that hates change. Ask my wife. My God, if the grocery store moves things around, I lose my mind. Because I I memorize I'm I'm one of these people that are so anal. If we're doing a grocery list, I write my grocery list in the order of where things are in the store. I know where everything is in the store, so I can if we need you know uh, produce. I know the the produce and stuff. That's going to be the first thing on my list. I also know that the dairy is the last thing on my list because that's the last part of the store we go to. And then I and I but that's how anal I am and how much I hate change. If things if if they move stuff around or they they redo the store, oh my god, it's a crisis. So I'm as a traditionalist as as can be. But I've gotten on board with the the pitch clock. I think it's great. There's some of the things they're doing in Major League Baseball. I like. I don't like the I don't like the pickoff rule. We've we've talked about all that. But anyway, this is what PGA has to do. And Rory McIlroy, who has been one of the biggest. Uh, names and one of the loudest names on the PGA Tour to put down what the Live Tour is doing came right out and said, hey, you know, look, the no-cut events 
are good because it's going to keep the stars of the game there for all four days. He said, you ask MasterCard or whoever it is to pay $20 million for a golf event, well, they're going to want to see all the stars there for the weekend. They want a guarantee that the stars are there. For instance, if you tell MasterCard that Tiger Woods is going to be in a tournament for four days because even if he doesn't play well in the first two rounds, he's still going to be there on days three and four, they're going to be more interested because Tiger Woods moves the needle. More people watch a golf tournament if Tiger Woods is there than any other tournament, period. And it means that more people are going to be at the events and are going to watch on television, and that is more impressions for their their corporate name, their corporate logo, et cetera, et cetera. It makes sense. It absolutely makes sense. And if you're Jay Monahan, the, the commissioner of the PGA Tour and the rest of the look, you know, this is what you have to do. It's not all written in stone. Some of it's still uh, to be determined uh, they haven't decided exactly which de- events will be designated, but they're trying to avoid things like, for instance, the, the Honda Classic that was played, and there were only three players in the top 25 at that event. You know, And so when you have a tournament like that, it's rough. It's hard to attract fans and te- television viewers when the field isn't very good. So, you know, it's going to be able the ability to prop up some of these events and make sure we don't have repeats. I, I think it's great. I think it's a, it's a great idea. Uh, NBA last night. Uh, the Boston Celtics bounce back. They get a win over the Cleveland Cavaliers last night, 117-113. This was a close game. Uh, I think it was a three-point game at the half. And uh, Boston just came out in the third quarter on fire. They outscored Cleveland 41-26 to in the third, uh, and they led by 18 going into the fourth quarter. They got the lead up to you know over 20 a couple of times. Cleveland was pesky, though. They kept coming back. They got it back to about 13, about midway through the fourth. Um, got it back uh, to within a one-possession game. I think they got it back to within three in the final minutes, but uh, – Fortunately, Boston was able to make some free throws and got out of it. Jason Tatum, a huge game. He scored 18 points out of the Celtics 41 in that third quarter. He ended up with 41 points. He also had 11 rebounds and 8 assists, by the way. It was his 20th career 40-point game. That's uh, good for 7th place on the NBA's all-time scoring list for players under 25. Think about that. You know, that, that. When I read that this morning, I went, oh, my God, and I had to look it up. Jason Tatum won't be 25 until tomorrow. You know, we talk about this kid as if he's been around forever. You know, uh, you know he's an all-star and he's one of the biggest names in the game. He's not even 25 until tomorrow. Uh, Al Horford on the other part of the spectrum who was about 112 years old. Al Horford last night with 23 points. He was 6 for 6 from three-point range at one point in the fourth quarter. He missed a couple after that. But, I mean, he's just unbelievable. Uh, Jalen Brown had 16 points, and uh, it's it's a game that the Celtics had to have. They now still are behind the Milwaukee Bucks uh, for best record by uh, percentage points. But the Bucks are the hottest team in the NBA right now, 15 straight wins. Uh, Kevin Durant made his debut 
for the Phoenix Suns last night. Scored 23 points in 27 minutes. He was limited to that because of uh, that knee injury that he had. He sprained that knee back in January. I think it was like January, the first week, I think. And uh, so he, he sat out until then. And, look, this is a Phoenix team that is really, really good. And you add Kevin Durant to that team. Whew. Uh, a guy who's been a 13-time All-Star. I know he's older. But Phoenix gave up a lot for this guy. They gave up three players and four first-round picks to get him. So, you know, they are expecting a lot. You know, the problem with Kevin Durant isn't that, you know, it's not a question of whether the guy can play or not. The, the problem with Kevin Durant is, is he going to stay anywhere? This is the, the Phoenix Suns are his fourth team in the last seven years. You know, it's kind of like you look at him and you look at Kyrie Irving and you look at guys like, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of his, the guy that plays for the 76ers with the huge beard, uh, James Harden. You know, and you look at these guys and the guys that move around like that, you wonder why. There's got to be a reason why. And, you know, you got to hope uh, that it's not just because he's a malcontent and that he's going to be a distraction to the Suns. He'll be fine in the beginning, just like Kyrie Irving was fine for the uh, Brooklyn Nets when he left the Celtics for a while. And then he was, he's, he's been fine with the Dallas Mavericks so far. But they're the kind of people that just can't keep their mouth shut and can't stay happy and, you know, it could end up being a distraction. So we'll see. But a, a good debut, obviously, for Kevin Durant in Phoenix. <coughs> um, one last NBA bit before we uh, head to a break. It was 61 years ago on this date. Wilt Chamberlain scored 100 points in a game. Think about that. That was back, he, and Wilt Chamberlain was a big dude. Right, uh, you know, seven footer. There was no three point line. He hit thirty six field goals in this game, thirty six field goals, and then went twenty eight for thirty two from the foul line. Which, by the way, I don't know how he did that because he was a horrible free throw shooter for most of his career. Twenty eight for thirty two from the line and thirty six field goals, hundred points. You will never see that again, ever. You know, I. Unless it's in an all-star game where nobody plays defense. 28 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. Back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. 30 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call. Hey, some news that just came down uh, in the NHL. The uh, Boston Bruins are going to acquire uh, Tyler Bertuzzi from the Detroit Red Wings. The trade deadline is today. And uh, the Bruins find themselves in a little bit of a jam right now um, with Taylor Hall down right now. Um, didn't even make the, uh, the last trip with the Bruins, and he is out. And uh, they are a little bit short uh, in terms of depth on the wings. And Tyler Bertuzzi, a nice addition for the Boston Bruins. So uh, uh, as the Bruins uh, get ready to play tonight, and if the Bruins win tonight, by the way, they are going to have 100 points. Well, actually, 101 of, 102 if they win tonight. They have 99 points. And, you know, look, uh, what they're doing is incredible. And uh, Bruins perhaps had their, you know, the thing they got to be cautious of is it doesn't mean a whole hell of a lot if you don't win in the playoffs, 
right? Uh, the Bruins, if you remember, the Bruins won Stanley Cups back in 1970 and 72. Well, you probably don't remember because you're not old like me, but they, they won Stanley Cups in 70 and 72, and in 71 they probably had their best team ever. And But the playoffs uh, were a bust. So, you know, you can have all the, uh, the regular season success that you want. You got to prove it uh, in the playoffs. And now with the moves that the – uh, the New York Rangers have made. Uh, the Rangers won last night. They just acquired, of course, Patrick Kane in a trade yesterday. Kane was not at the game last night, but they beat the Flyers last night in overtime. Uh, and they uh, are slowly creeping up the standings, the wild card standings in the uh, NHL playoffs in the Eastern Conference. Uh, Carolina, who is uh, the team breathing down the Bruins' neck as far as points go in the Eastern Conference, but they're still 13 points behind. But they lost last night uh, to the Las Vegas Golden Knights uh, with a goal by Riley Smith uh, with 3.42 left to give the Golden Knights the victory uh, in that one. And uh, all that does is launch Vegas into the top spot in the Western Conference. So, But uh, a good move anyway by the, uh, by the Bruins to pick up Bertuzzi. All right, uh, college basketball last night, uh, UConn. Had uh, two games left in the regular season, trying to improve their standing. They still have an outside chance uh, to get the four seed in the Big East tournament, but they've got to win out, and they need some help. They got a little bit of help last night because Providence lost um, their game. Uh, I think they were playing against Xavier, and uh, they lost last night, so that actually will help them a little bit. Xavier beat Providence, the number 20 team in the country, 94-89 last night. So if Providence loses its last game and the uh, UConn Huskies win theirs, I think they can get the number four seed in the Big East tournament. But uh, the Huskies blew out DePaul last night, 88-59, a 27 to nothing run in the first half. I repeat, 27 to nothing. This game was over at the half. UConn, the number 14 team in the country, it proves to 23 and 7 overall, uh 12 and 7 in the Big East. Adama Sanogo, the leading scorer in the Big East with 26 points uh last night. He had 15 of those in the first half. UConn led 51 to 19 at halftime. 51 to 19. Uh, they have uh, one game left. They will play Villanova at Villanova in Philly on Saturday. That game will be on actually be on Fox at 7:30. And uh, UConn is playing very well lately. They had a you know a dip in the middle of the season when they you know looked like they might be uh, folding up the tents and ready to go home. But uh, Danny Hurley has really turned them around. The number two team in the country, Alabama, uh, was down 17 to Auburn. And, you know, look, the Auburn-Alabama rivalry in basketball isn't quite what it is in in college football, but Auburn and Alabama hate each other, and Alabama was down 17. They come back to beat Auburn in overtime last night, 90-85. to uh, Javon Quinterly, 24 points. And Brandon Miller, the young man, by the way, and, and talk about trying to play with distractions, uh, the young man who uh, was the one that brought the gun to his teammate, and uh, in, in his teammate, who, by the way, has been charged with capital murder, made the clinching free throws with six seconds left to give Alabama the win. Alabama now 26-4. and four. They are 16-1 and one in the SEC. It's their second regular season SEC title in the last three years. 
Uh, other college basketball action last night. Number nine, Texas loses to TCU 75-73, to and that ruins any chance that Texas had of claiming a share of the Big 12 title. Uh, they play third-ranked Kansas on Saturday, and if they had been able, if they had won last night and then been able to beat Kansas, they would have shared uh, the Big 12 title. But now they know they don't have a chance to do that as uh, TCU, the number 22 team in the country, um, wins 75-73. That will certainly help them uh, in their standing as far as the NCAA tournament goes. They're 20-10 overall, but just 9-8 in the Big 12. Uh, Another upset, number 23, Kentucky loses last night to Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt needs wins, and they need them hard. They are 17-13. Uh, ten, ten and seven in the SEC, but they're one of those teams that kind of a little bit on the bubble. However, they are, and one of the things the committee does look at is how a team is playing uh, going into the end of the season. And they have now won seven of their last eight games since losing to Kentucky uh, last month in Nashville. So uh, they are a team on a roll. Uh, Notre Dame upsets the number twenty-five team in the country last night, eighty-eight to eighty-five, uh, eighty-one. Uh, the only thing really significant about this. Um, is that it was uh, Mike Bray's final home game. Uh, he is retiring at the end of the season, and uh, with that win, they improved to 315-76 and 76 in his career. Uh, Notre Dame is not making any tournament. They are 11-19, and 3-16 uh, in the ACC, but 21-9 uh, and 9, Pittsburgh loses just their fifth conference game of the season as Notre Dame beats them last night 88 88- uh, one other thing I wanted to uh, – one other college basketball note. Um, there's been a, a story circulating. A kid by the name uh, – and I, I have to admit I don't know this kid. Uh, Antoine Davis um, needs just 26 points to pass Pete Maravich as the NCAA's all-time scoring leader. He's averaging 28.4 points a game. Uh, that record by Maravich has held for 53 years. Now, I have no doubt. I haven't seen this kid play. Okay, I have no doubt the kid can play. He's six one, uh, you know, and and I have no doubt that he's you know that he's a great player. However, Pete Maravich scored 3,667 points in three years. This was back at a time, back in the old days, folks, back when, you know, when I still had hair, freshmen were not eligible to play in college. They had to sit out their freshman year and couldn't play until the start of their sophomore year. So Maravich scored 3,667 points in three years and just 83 games. As I said, Davis, sure, he's a very good player. It has taken him 142 games to get to within 26 points of Pete Maravich. So he has had to play 59 more games, and he still hasn't passed Maravich. So, and, you know, not only did Maravich not get to play as a freshman, Davis was granted a fifth year of eligibility because of the COVID pandemic. And, by the way, when Pete Maravich played, there was no shot clock. There was no three-point line. So it is a completely – this is not apples to apples. This is apples to oranges. And Pete Maravich, you know, I was looking at the list of the all-time leading scorers uh, in college basketball career. 
not only was Pete Maravich the all-time leader, he was the one that had the probably had the best uh, pro career as well. He played 11 years in the NBA, but he averaged 44 points a game in his college career from 1967 to 1970 at LSU. Unbelievable, you know. And outside of that, you look at these other lists. Um, you know, uh, Antoine Davis now is number two. Freeman Williams. Uh, who was drafted by the Celtics back in 1978, only played seven seasons in the NBA. He was number three on that list. Chris Clemens, who played at Campbell, he's playing in China. He played 33 games for the Rockets. Uh, Lionel Simmons, who played at LaSalle, is number five on the list. Uh, played seven seasons with the Kings, averaged like 13 points a game. You know, So you, you go down the list and you look at him and you say, I don't know who any of these people are. I mean, some of them you do, obviously. But, but what Pete Maravich did, you cannot compare. I mean, look again. I, I'm I'm not trying to put down Antoine Davis. I'm sure he's a great player. Averaging 28 points a game. I don't care who you're playing against is impressive. But Antoine Davis and Pete Maravich do not belong in the same sentence together. Period. Period. Oh, what? Speaking of not belonging in the same sentence together, this was great. There was a um, a story that circulated in. Uh, J.J. Redick, who, you know, has, you know, played in the NBA and uh, got into a debate with Chris Mad Dog Russo. We all know who the Mad Dog is, right? Um, And he currently works as an analyst for ESPN. He came out and said that Larry Bird was not one of the top five all-time three-point shooters. All right. Uh, he said that, uh, uh, you know, he just he wasn't that good, right? By the way, J.J. Redick played in the NBA, but J.J. Redick was a guy who was like a journeyman. He wasn't that great a player. He could shoot threes, but he wasn't that great a player. Well, the funny part was the guy who came to Larry Bird's defense was Michael Cooper. And one of the funny, part, funny parts of this was, is you know, and I'll get into it a little bit more, but he said – let me explain. You know what? He says, I hate Larry Bird, <laughs> Michael Cooper said. But I respect the hell out of that man because I went against him in all those championships. And during the year, everything we did with the Lakers was all about the Boston Celtics. He said, look, J.J. Uh, Redick needs to be quiet and stop trying to compare because he has no idea what he's talking about. He said, Larry Bird was one of the greatest three-point shooters that ever played the game. He said, screw percentages. He didn't say screw. He said something else. He said, it isn't about that. It's about hitting big shots, things that Reddit couldn't do as a player without getting a pick set for him. And he's, you know, and, you know, Reddick's one of these guys that thinks he's one of those people that thinks that the modern game and the modern players are better than everybody else. This is J.J. Reddick is the same guy that has said that uh, that Bob Cousy wasn't very good, you know, that, that because he was being guarded by what did he call him? Uh, uh, like uh, plumbers and firemen or something, you know. And you know, and and as and as uh, you know, downplayed the role of of like a Wilt Chamberlain. I mean, shut up. You know, I mean, go on to YouTube and you take a look at some of the highlights and some of the things that Larry Bird did in his career. He was ridiculous. Larry Bird's a guy 
who said, I'm going to play with my offhand. He was 11. He said, I'm going to shoot right-handed all night. I'm not even going to use my left. I'm just going to shoot right-handed. He dropped 40. I think it was maybe 44 on the Atlanta Hawks doing that. He's a guy that would tell you what he was going to do to you and then go out and do it. You know, he was, you know, Michael Cooper said, look, J.J. Reddick couldn't have played in the era that we played in it because he said now, you know, you even you touch a guy and they're calling a foul. You know, they didn't do that back when we played. He said J.J. Reddick may have played 15 years in the NBA, but he was, he said all he could do was shoot, so he went around from team to team. He said he was a poor man's Danny Ainge. <laughs> and, you know, and he said, look, he said, you know, just shut up. And that's saying something from a guy who was a, a, a Laker and had some, I mean, those Lakers-Celtics series, that's back when the NBA was fun. That's back when I watched the NBA all the time. It's hard for me to watch the NBA right now. I mean, I watched that Celtics game last night, and it's hard because they don't play defense the way they used to. The game isn't called the way it used to be. You know, the stuff that guys get away with now is unbelievable. Call a travel every now and then, will you please? You know, the game isn't – it's not as fun. So, But to hear Michael Cooper come to the defense of a guy from a team that they went to war against all the time and, and as he said, I hate the guy, was priceless. 45 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to wrap up with some baseball news. Major League Baseball trying yet again – to find ways not to pay people. We'll talk about that in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 47 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call here on a Thursday morning. So Major League Baseball, which, by the way, um, had uh, revenues last year of $10.8 billion. Uh, the league's 30 franchises have a combined value of more than $60 billion. And the principal team owners have a collective net worth of more than $100 billion. Those guys, well, they are now backing legislation that was put forth down in Florida that would exempt minor league players from the state's minimum wage provisions. Uh, there are similar laws that are, um, are being debated in the state of Ohio and also in the state of Arizona. Essentially, uh, in Ohio, they're calling uh, minor league baseball players uh, seasonal workers. So it would exempt them from minimum wage laws. And, it, you know, look, Major League Baseball did some lip service to the shameful money that minor league players were making. And, of course, some of the reason that they that, – that, that was part of the reason they used for uh, contracting the minor leagues when they took control of minor league baseball and, you know, got rid of about 30 teams. They were like, it's all in the – all in an effort to make sure that we can pay these other minor leaguers a little bit more money, which is a load of crap. Um, so, you know, it's it's unbelievable. You know, uh, in this, look, um, last year, a in a class action lawsuit, a California district judge uh, rejected MLB's argument that minor leaguers were seasonal employees. Right. Um, the, the, as part of that litigation, the court also said that uh, that the Save America's Pastime Act that was passed in, in the uh, the Congress 
should have automatically exempted players from Florida state protections. Uh, and he said the ruling uh, resulted in the awarding of back pay for previous unpaid work in spring training. You probably don't know that, but minor leaguers aren't getting paid for spring training. So a trial to determine the damages was set for June, but the two sides agreed on a $185 million settlement. So courts have said, hey, you can't do this. This isn't legal. And yet Florida is going to try it. Ohio, Arizona, and Major League Baseball is all over this. Now, this could all become a moot point anyway, because in the next CBA that is set to take place in 2026, I mean, I know we still have a few years to go before we get there, but the Major League Baseball's Players Union has agreed to fold in minor league players into their union. So they will now have a very powerful union advocating for them in the next CBA, which is another one of these reasons why I'm telling you to buckle up. I think that we are going to be headed for no baseball in 2027 after the current CBA expires. I would be willing to bet my house on it. Just don't tell my wife I did that. Um, You know, I think that uh, sometimes I think that Guys in the media actually listen to my show. You know, I, we talked yesterday about, and, and I've said it a couple of times, about how I have optimism for this year's Red Sox team and about how, look, with the with the guys that they have on that staff, the pedigree of the top names on that Red Sox pitching staff, that I have hope, that I think there is the potential for this team to do well. Well, in today's Boston Globe, Alex Spear has an article about the trio of quote-unquote aging aces that the Sox have in Chris Sale, Corey Kluber, James Paxton. And he said, look, you know, it's going to, you know, it might be a minor miracle if these guys are all able to stay healthy and productive. Kluber's 37, Paxton's 34, Sale's 34. But as Alex Spear points out, look, there are instances, there is history with guys that have missed multiple years coming back and be, and returning to become the aces of their staff. You don't have to look any farther than Justin Verlander. Justin Verlander is in his late 30s. He threw just six innings over two seasons. And what did he do last year? Oh, not much. Just won the AL Cy Young 18-4 and four with a 1.75 ERA in 28 starts. Adam Wainwright, who missed almost three seasons, almost the entire seasons in 2011, 2015, and 2018, came back. And every time he came back after those out uh, after missing that significant amount of time, was the ace of that staff and was one of the best pitchers in the National League. Chris Carpenter, guy who won this Cy Young in 2005, missed uh, two years, 2007-2008, coming back from elbow surgeries and arm issues. Came back with three incredible seasons after that. So there. 
you know, Johnny Cueto. Now, look, Johnny Cueto is not a guy that is uh, – he's not going to win a Cy Young, but Johnny Cueto was a guy that looked like he was on his way out of baseball. And Johnny Cueto has rebounded to have a great last half of his career. You know, over the last two years, he's averaged 136 innings. And his ERA plus, of, if you want to, you know, these new analytic stats, is very good. So, you know, it's, it's 110. So there's reason to be optimistic. Yes, things need to fall right. Absolutely. But I'm not the only one that thinks that the Red Sox have a chance here because just three, these three guys alone. And then you have a, a, a Pedro Martinez being quoted as saying that he thinks Brian Bayo, who finished up incredibly well last year for the Red Sox, Pedro Martinez said he thinks Brian Bayo is more talented than he was. Now, I call BS on that because it's hard to be more talented than Pedro Martinez. But if Pedro wants to say that, okay. And if he's right, and you add Bayo to these three guys, and then you add Garrett Whitlock and Nick Pavetta and the other pieces that they have, I'm telling you, they can do some things. Now, again, health is the big thing, but there is history of guys who have missed a lot of time coming back to be productive. So it could happen. Uh, yesterday's spring training game, uh, a tie. Nothing you like better than seeing a tie. The Red Sox tied the Houston Astros uh, yesterday 4-4. Four to four. Uh, They actually had a 4-1 lead in this one, but then Caleb Ort, who uh, I still don't understand why they didn't protect uh, or why they released Matt Barnes and kept Caleb Ort on the 40-man roster, but that's that's neither here nor there. Um, I think it was just that was strictly a money thing, but regardless, Caleb Ort gives up a two-run homer uh, in the sixth, and then uh, a couple more runs given up later, and uh, Houston comes back to tie that game um, I guess the most significant thing here, Tristan Cassis, it, it continues to swing the bat well, uh, one for four with an RBI in this one. Rymel Tapia, who is looking more and more like he, he wants to be a part of this Red Sox team, uh, went two for three with a double yesterday. Uh, that may not bode well for a guy like Jaron Duran or even a guy like Rob Refsnyder. Uh, Tapia might be the guy that ends up with that fourth outfield slot. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, Jackie Bradley Jr., Signed a minor league contract with the Kansas City Royals yesterday. Uh, look, you know, we JBJ's only 32, and we know the, the hitting troubles that he's had, but he is still one of the best defensive center fielders in, uh, in baseball. Uh, so he has uh, signed a minor league deal with the Royals. And look, here's the deal. Right now the Royals uh, starting center fielder, well, they don't have one because they're, they're thinking it's going to be Drew Waters. But Drew Waters has a grand total of 32 games of Major League Baseball experience. So we don't know if he's really going to be the guy. Jackie Bradley Jr. gives them some insurance. And we all know when Jackie gets hot at the plate, you can't get him out. And you add the defense into that, yeah, we'll see. But uh, JBJ signs uh, with the Kansas City Royals. And, uh, by the way, just one more note. Chris Sale uh, pitched uh, 43 pitches yesterday to live hitters. Uh, looked really good. He is probably going to start Monday. Um, against the Tigers at Jet Blue Park. So mark that one on your calendar. I think it's going to be on Nesson. Uh, they're on Nesson today at noon, and uh, so I'll be looking at that. And uh, uh, But we'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. That's going to do it for us this morning. Hey, it's Luke Combs' 33rd birthday. 
we'll, we'll finish out with a little Luke Combs. When it rains, it pours. It's about to rain here any minute now. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.